This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You have active B12 that your body can use right out of the gate instantly. Then you have what's called passive B12. And passive B12 is lab-formed B12. It's not naturally occurring. And the problem with it is that you take a shot of it and it has to go through a multi-stage conversion process in your liver that makes it lose potency and slows down how fast your body can use it. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn how to boost your energy. We'll discuss the power of intermittent silence. We'll explore the best spots for spring brunch. And lastly, we'll find out about gardening in small places. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products on the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is a regular contributor to The Tonic Magazine and a regular guest on the show. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, and hopefully you can say the same. Yeah. Okay, so here's the issue, Joel. Some days I'm full of pep and vinegar, but other days not so much. And I'm not sure what the issue is. And I'm sure I'm not alone. No, we hear about this all the time, especially, no surprise, in the, over the past two years. Everyone has been on a heightened state of alert for so long now that we're all just feeling the effects of it. And if you think about it, we, we live in really hectic times. We're bombarded by information 24-7. And... Society expects us to be on top, up, and ready at a moment's notice. But this isn't how we're built. Our makeup is optimized for being ready to go during the daylight hours and then relax and recover during the night. The problem is that we keep fooling ourselves with technology. Technology is wonderful, but we have these phones, these tablets, and these computers and these TVs all around us. And they, they use light to stimulate our brains. And this fools us into thinking that 2 a.m. or other nutty hour is actually daytime. And this completely throws us out of whack. You know, that's actually, it's a very recent phenomenon. And before we even, you know, going back into the Wayback Machine, before there was even electricity, do you know that most people's sleep patterns were completely different? That people would go to sleep when the sun went down, obviously, but frequently they would wake up in the middle of the night, do stuff, and then go for a second sleep. Yep. And there were also cultures, the nomadic cultures, who might be moving at night and sleeping during the day. And so I'm thinking that the way we sleep and our sleep patterns and our energy patterns are actually being driven and changed by technology in ways that we're not even appreciating. 
Oh, definitely. And part of the problem with that also is that, and, and you hit on it with what you said, is sleep pattern. Yeah. Many people I speak to don't even have a pattern anymore. It's today, it's this way, I go to sleep at this time. The next day, I go to sleep at this time. Some days, I wake up at 6 a.m. Other days, I'm up at 3 a.m. And you need to have some sort of schedule and pattern for your body to follow. Exactly. What else do you recommend to help get optimal sleep? Well, the big thing is to start is to focus on it. And you and I have chatted about this before. You need to practice what's called good sleep hygiene. Yeah. The first big thing, get rid of the devices in the bedroom, phones, tablets, or computers. I can't tell you how many people tell me, oh, yeah, I sleep with the phone beside me. It goes off, and that's it. I'm, I'm done. I can't go back to sleep. Get rid of all technology at least a half an hour before bedtime. Also, no eating, no drinking for an hour before bedtime. Because you want, you want your body to have time to relax and wind down. Keep your room dark, comfortable, whatever you find comfortable, and free of distracting noises. And to help you along, you can use, there's a whole bunch of safe, calming herbs to help prepare and relax you. You can use lavender essential oil, just a couple drops on the pillow, chamomile tea, valerian extract. All of these help calm your mind and let you truly relax and hopefully get a good sleep. Right, because the sleep is so intrinsic to your energy levels. My experience is that it isn't just sleep, right? Like we, we've discussed it before, the sort of tonic theory that it's all interconnected. I also, like I espouse exercise, which seems counterintuitive, right? Because you're expending energy when you exercise, but it actually helps you overall with that, with your energy levels, right? Definitely. Exercise, the role of exercise can't be overstated. It is fundamental. Just as you need your body to actually relax and unwind and sleep, you also need to use it and to get everything going. Yeah, it sounds a little counterintuitive that you get energy by exercising because you're using energy, but what it does is it teaches your body and tunes your body to actually enable it to work and to later relax also. The big thing about it is if you work out during the day, it helps to normalize your sleep schedule, tune your metabolism, and boost your overall energy levels. And here's the kicker, not just physically, also your mental energy. It does both. Yep. Well, we've discussed it on the show before. I mean, I'm a firm believer that exercise helps you emotionally with your emotional health too. Yep. Okay. So perhaps it goes without saying, but obviously what you're putting into your body is going to impact your ability to create energy as well, right? Because if you're putting crap in, you're going to get crap out. And I don't mean that literally. <laughs> Definitely. Well, the old adage for those of you who are, are involved with computers is giggo, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the exact same thing here. Good nutrition is vital. If you eat healthy, your body can get the nutrients it needs to repair itself when you're asleep so that you can get up each day refreshed, alert, and ready to get going. Essentially, you're giving yourself a head start. To do this, you want to have a wide variety of nutrient-rich whole foods while avoiding stimulants. And the big thing here, people think, oh, I need that cup of joe in the morning or I need the caffeine, etc. Occasionally, caffeine or sugar to enhance your breakfast is okay, but relying on them 
puts you on a never-ending roller coaster with no good result. Right. You do get a temporary lift, no question. You take a nice sugar-laden coffee, you're going to get a nice little boost. But after the boost is over, you end up crashing. And the level of crashing, you get energy levels that are far lower than before you had the boost. Well, this goes to the glycemic level of the foods that you're eating, like particularly if you're eating sugars, right? Because you want that slow burn over the course of the day to keep your energy up. You know, sometimes you sprint, but most days are marathons, right? Oh, agreed, definitely. And learned this very early on in my life. And my go-to in the morning seems boring to some, but it's great. And it works really well for me is just simple oatmeal with fresh berries. That is my primary breakfast. And I have energy up the whatever, because my body, it's It's a slow, it uses that slowly. There's no massive stimulant and it's great. I have had oatmeal for breakfast five days a week for the last 10 years. No, 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 no exaggeration. Sometimes it was sometimes it was up to seven days a week, but I, I decided to give myself a little bit of a break. But you know, I'm such a fan of oatmeal. You know, the folks at Quaker gave me some free oatmeal, like a year's supply. That, that's how big a proponent I am. Oh, um, I'm right there beside you. <laughs> so let's continue in your wheelhouse. Let's talk about the supplements that are going to help us with our energy levels. Where do you want to start? Sure. Well, if if you need a boost, and some of us do, and some days, even those that normally don't, still need a boost, what I recommend is go the nutrient route. For example, before I work out or when I know I'm going to have a particularly draining day, I power up with a shot of active vitamin B12 and a glass of liquid greens chlorophyll. In this combination, I get a nice boost with no stimulants, and it gives me prolonged energy without any any crashing. Now, if I need an even bigger boost, a serious one, for example, before a bike track or a hockey game, then I bring out the big guns. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I turn to organic active B12. It's a little stronger. Mm -hmm. Organic imperial ginseng and organic turmeric. And why go to those are the B12 and the ginseng work together to give me that really go, 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 your all cylinders are firing. And the turmeric works to enhance the ginseng, and at the same time, because it's anti-inflammatory, it helps me avoid overdoing it and being sore the next morning. (laughs) That makes total sense. Explain to me what the active B12 means. What does that mean as opposed to, like, is there an inactive B12? Correct. There's two different main forms. You have active B12 that your body can use right out of the gate instantly. Then you have what's called passive B12. And passive B12 is lab-formed B12. It's not naturally occurring. And the problem with it is that you take a shot of it, and it has to go through a multi-stage conversion process in your liver that makes it lose potency and slows down how fast your body can use it. Okay. I mean, again, perhaps this goes without saying, but if I want energy, like for example, if I'm contemplating a workout or if I have just worked out, I will make sure I'm eating protein. What are your thoughts on that? Protein is great. and And the good thing about it is that there's a protein for everyone. No matter what your tastes are, no matter what your dietary restrictions are, there is a protein that is good for you. And I'm not just talking even powders or or bars. Something as simple, for example, as tuna or beef or dairy. They're all sources of protein. What you want to do is find the one that's right for you and enjoy it. 
The big thing with the protein is try and avoid proteins that have added stuff in them. Right. Because if you want protein, you want the protein, and that's what you want to pay for. You don't want to pay for added stuff. <laughs> exactly. And also, you know, obviously the concern with some proteins is the, they can be fatty, right? And then there's good fats and bad fats, right? So, uh, you know, an omega-3 rich piece of salmon is perhaps different than, you know, the steak that I had last night, but I had good reason for it. So, you know, don't judge everyone, me. Everyone should go and no one is perfect. We all have our own little things. <laughs> so we've been talking about energy sort of in a vacuum. And by that, I mean, we're talking about ways to increase our energy. But there are certain sort of aspects of our reality which diminish our energy. And, and I guess stress is a big one, yeah? Stress is huge. And you can think of stress as the consummate drainer. It drains you of energy. It drains you of vitality. It drains your emotions. It just drains you. And a little bit of stress, that's great. What it does is it can help motivate you, focus you, and, and move you to get stuff done. But most of us are well past that level. We are constantly living in a massively stressful situation and an environment that just keeps draining us. And I'm talking your job, your family, politics, school, the economy, health. It, it all weighs on us. You can't avoid it, but what you can do is you can give your body the tools to help handle it and overcome it. I know you're a big proponent, for example, of yoga. Yep. That is one awesome way to do it. it. It really does help. There's been clinical trials to prove that. On top of that, you can use B vitamins, especially B6 and B12. They help your body cope with stress. There's also a class of herbs called adaptogens, and they are tuned for stress. As the name implies, they help your body adapt to and overcome stress. And again, both the physical and the emotional. Big adaptogens are imperial ginseng, Siberian ginseng, and astragalus. They're all very well researched, very popular, and they work. Thing to note, imperial ginseng is the most potent of the adaptogens. What about lifestyle choices as it pertains to stress? Well, you can... Reduce the amounts of stress by just working smarter. Most of us have a massive to-do list. The problem is we create these lists, and we know when we're creating them that it's, as a politician in Ontario said, a stretch goal. We don't actually think we're going to achieve them, or at least not all of them. And the problem is this leads us to a great deal of stress. We try, we try, we try, we try, and inevitably we fail. So we're setting ourselves up to fail. Instead, what you want to do is make a list that's realistic. Make it achievable. Set your list based on priorities. It's, okay, I've got 20 things to do, but I'm not going to get all 20 done. I'll do the first four that are really important, and I'll push the other ones to the next day because they can wait until the next day. That way, you finish your four, you get it done, and you feel a sense of accomplishment, and your stress level goes down. You're happy. You're relaxed. You can go to sleep and wake up the next morning and tackle the day. Makes perfect sense. Time for one last question, and that is, are there any foods out there that can help us with dealing with our stress? Good foods, good health, it's all great. Anything that you would describe as a healthy food is something that will help you with energy and help relieve your stress. 
what you want to do also are avoid the two big nasties, which are tobacco and alcohol. Yep. They do nothing but increase your stress and sap you of energy. Makes total sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Always my pleasure, sir. That was Joel Thuna. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss intermittent silence on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To fully benefit from probiotics, you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric-coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Krishna Bhatta is an author, surgeon, and inventor currently practicing as Chief of Urology at Northern Light Eastern Maine Medical Center in Bangor, Maine. Dr. Bada began his life in a small Indian village, attended Patna Medical School in India, and continued his education in the UK. He completed his research and medical training at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston before settling down in Maine. Welcome to the show, Doctor. How are you? I am very good. Thank you for asking, Jim. So today we're talking about a concept that I know you know a lot about, and that is intermittent silence. And I have to tell you, I don't know what that is, and I'm kind of known as a know-it-all around here. So what is intermittent silence? So you must know about intermittent fasting because that has become so common. Yeah, it's, it's very and, trendy. Yeah. Yeah, it is trendy. But what it addresses is one of our habits. You know, we all have habits of overeating, overthinking, overindulging. And that's our kind of in the nature. We like to eat a lot. We like to talk a lot. So intermittent fasting addresses that area where now there is science that says, okay, there will be regeneration of cells as well if you do intermittent fasting. Intermittent silence is kind of addressing an issue of overthinking, which we are used to. We are always keeping our brain busy. What I'm saying is that 10 minutes a day, give your brain a rest. Let it regenerate. Let it refresh. And give a break. How is that different than sleep? I'm curious. Like, don't our brains rest and regenerate during the sleep process? Yes, but sleep, you are not, you know, you are in your subconscious level, not your conscious level. Yeah. When you are doing intermittent silence, you are giving your brain active rest. You know, it's like actively deciding not to engage into conversation or thought process or listening or judging. So this is a very conscious process. In sleep, you still have the whole dream process or REM sleep. Right. So the brain is still active you know, during your sleep. 
if that makes sense to you. It does. So what would be the benefit of trying intermittent silence? So intermittent silence, the first benefit, as I said, is give your brain a break or rest, which it deserves. And the secondary benefits, quite a few. So by practicing intermittent silence, you learn to give a pause in your life. Somebody sends an email, you have this impulse to reply immediately. Or somebody says, calls you and want to respond, you know, immediately. So with practice of silence, you get that little pause in your life, which even half a second, but it makes a difference in your response. It's more strategic rather than reactive. So that's another benefit you can have. The biggest benefit actually is it opens door to the inner space that we all have. And that inner space is as big or as fast as the outer universe. And that is what, you know, sometimes Einstein used the word swimming in silence and uh, the creativity and all this uh, music, you know, all these things are coming from there. The source is inside us. Many of us think it is inside our head, but that's not where actually all these things are. You may have heard, like I have a friend who wrote a book, you know, a series of eight books, and he claims that it all came from inside him. Mm-hmm. Or even Frankenstein, Shelley, forget her last name, but she wrote that book and she said it all came from inside her. Mary Shelley, yeah. Mary Shelley, yeah. So there is a treasure or something within us, and this practice of intermittent silence opens the door to that so- and makes it happen to all of us in, in some ways. So if I were inclined to try this, what sort of time commitment would, it, would I need? How would I do this practically? I, I usually say 10 minutes. And what you do is you close your mouth. So by closing your mouth, you are closing out all the, or resting all the brain cells that are involved in processing of thoughts and expression. And there, you know, there are certain areas, Wernicke's area is one of them and broadcast center. Then you close the eyes, and when you close the eyes, you give rest to all the visual pathway and all the observation processing centers. And then you do a process of silent listening. And this silent listening is so powerful because it also improves your listening power to conversations in real practice. The idea is any sound that comes around, you just let it pass through. You don't judge. You don't start making uh, expressions of how good or bad they are. Just just let it pass. And many of the people who practice intermittent silence, they found that they hear the sounds that they never heard before inside the house or outside in a park or on a hike. You know, you can just lie down or sit down and practice intermittent silence. And the third thing, which I used to say, watch your thoughts, but more like you coexist with your thoughts. So you coexist with the whole nature. Suppose you are outside, just feel that you are part and of the whole nature that is around you, the trees, the leaves, the wind, the waves. And it just everything is coexisting with each other. Sometimes you, your thoughts may hijack you or you know, some emotional storm may come and kind of you know, take you away. But you know, there's not, nothing wrong with that. If it happens, 
you come back to practice of intermittent silence when you realize it. So you cannot do anything wrong in this, and just 10 minutes a day can really transform your life. Okay. So I'm one of those people that needs to understand things, you know, take them apart and look at them from above and beneath and inside. So can you explain to me how intermittent silence actually works? It's an experience more than anything how it works. But to me, it works because it does definitely give rest to your brain, which we are not used to giving rest to our brain. And then... It is also a bridge to the inner space. So once you are silent, you get into the adventure or exploration mode of the inside. And you can feel certain energies, you can feel some lights. How it works is a mystery to me as well, and I think it will remain a mystery because uh, it's very hard to measure scientifically. We can measure effects. We can measure if your heart rate is lower, or your diabetes is better, or your hypertension is better. But we cannot measure the how part at the moment. It's uh, Being a scientist, I want to know as well. And I've been practicing for a long time. And I go, this can take you into what we call yoga nidra, which is conscious deep sleep if you practice at night. Yes. But it's a question of, you know, I mean, your question as to how does it work. Yeah. You know, sometimes we just say it works. Got it. The proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah, that's right. Proof is in the pudding. Do you need to be on your own to effectively practice intermittent silence? No, that's a very good question because any of these, like meditation, mindfulness, and uh, intermittent silence, if you practice in a group, somehow the effect is potentiated. It's not one plus one equals two. It just uh, is like, Four times four is 16. It's, it's more like multiplication. So it's an exponential response. Right. As opposed to binary. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, this seems like a bit of a silly question, but are there any risks associated with intermittent silence? I don't know about risk, but we are not used to silence. So in the beginning, it can be uncomfortable. That 10-minute look may sound like an hour, you know, it's like... Yeah. I mean, it sounds silly, but that's what many people have reported to me. And to me also, you know, if I'm disturbed or upset, that 10 minute seems to stretch out. I live in my head, so I would be one of those people that would struggle with 10 minutes. Can you work up to it? Like, would you suggest starting with a few minutes and then building up to it? Yeah. I mean, I in my app, I say two to 10 minutes. So we have two-minute uh, timers with some, you know, with some background music. Yeah. Or and then you can go to pure silence if you wanted to do that. So yes. I mean, okay. You can so start with two minutes, five minutes, and then. I, I got to tell you, I, I'd be one of your two-minute guys for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. You're not alone there, Jim. Yeah. No, I, I hear that. Well, I'm a work in progress, doctor. So if people were interested in finding more out about intermittent silence, where should they go? Well, if they Google, I've got several articles, but Relax app, which is R-E-L-A-X-X. Yep. So it, it does have details and practice about intermittent silence with timers. And also, once you get to the inner universe or inner space, which I say, you know, the inner flame, that's a very positive you know, space where you can practice uh, many 
routines that you want to. So like uh, if you have a presentation that you want to give tomorrow or if you have a game that you want to play tomorrow, many people do visualize in the mind. Instead of that, you can go in that inner space, create your own inner theater, your own story, your own characters, and you just play it out. But the brain doesn't know that it's not real. So you do have a practice there that you can get, then go and act it out or play it out. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. No, thank you for having me. That was Dr. Krishna Bhatta. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss brunch on The Tonic. Hi, this is Jamie Buston of The Tonic. If you enjoy The Tonic talk show and podcast, you'll love The Tonic newsletter. With links to the podcast and articles from the magazine, the newsletter will also let you know about upcoming health and wellness events, curated articles from across the internet that expand on the health and wellness topics important to you. There's contests and prizes and so much more. Best of all, it comes directly to you. To subscribe, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. The Tonic newsletter, you know, for what ails you. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Success enabler, idea broker, and award-winning marketer at the PR department, Brigitte Foisy has been the strategist behind some of Canada and the world's biggest brands for over 30 years. She's also the vice president at Chefs Canada, the organization that manages our national culinary teams. And what she enjoys most is connecting people and being the bridge to successful, mutually beneficial partnerships. She's now a frequent guest on the show. Welcome back, Brigitte. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Doing really well. Spring is kind of here. Like today, it's not so nice, but like we're going to imagine that it's beautiful and everybody wants to eat outdoors <laughs> and, and go out and go to restaurants, okay? Yes. So I understand before we get to the meat of today, you have some scoops for us. So Of course. I love it. So let's hear it. Of course. The Tonic is now the, the place where you hear all about it. So love new openings first. If you know the salad chain Mindy's from Montreal, you'll be happy to know that they opened here in Toronto on Ossington just a couple of weeks ago. Those gourmet salads are to die for. Then for April, mm-hmm. this is a good scoop, yep. there's Chef Trevor Louis, which we talked about last time from Joybird, who's partnering with a few other folks to open a 4,000-square-foot night market this month. Wow. It will be called Super Fresh, and it will be located where the Annex Food Hall used to be, and it's not to be missed if you're Asian food lover like I am, so that's on my list for April. And then I have Toto Chef Patrick Chris that we know from ALO, mm-hmm. who's partnering with the new Ace Hotel Toronto, which I didn't know, but they're opening Alder later this spring, and this will be something to watch for. And the final one, mm-hmm. which I found out yesterday, and I'm probably butchering this name, but it's called Miznan 
M-I-Z-N-O-N. And they're opening in Yorkville. They have location all around the world, including Tel Aviv, Paris, and New York. And they're all about interpreting their host country on a pita. So that will be interesting to check out. Oh, so it's, it's an Israeli restaurant then, yeah? I think so. I think so. It's like Middle Eastern kind of food, but they interpret it based on the location where they open. So uh, I don't know. God Middle forbid. We're not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not getting poutine on a pita, I hope. <laughs> We're not getting we're not getting pea soup on a pita. We're not getting we're, we're not getting maple syrup on it. God, I hope they have the sense not to do that. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's move along. Okay, so today we're gonna talk about that meal. It's the fourth meal, right? So breakfast, lunch, dinner. We're talking brunch, right? Brunch. Brunch. Are you a brunch fan? I am. I am, but you know, there, there's there's two schools of thought, right? There's the savory brunch and the sweet brunch. Absolutely. So and, which one are you? Well, it kind of depends on my mood. If I if I've had a good night's sleep, I'm all up for the sweet stuff. If I have a bit of a I don't know hangover, uh, <laughs> I need I need to go savory, right? So, okay. what about you? I'm more about interesting things that I can't make at home. Yeah. But in Toronto, overall, you can't talk brunch without automatically thinking of Chef Matt Bezzeli from the ex-Lisa Marie on Queen. And I don't know if you've ever been. I went to Lisa Marie. Uh, yeah, Patai fries. I mean, yep. that was something. Unfortunately for all his fans, including me, there won't be any more shachuka or fried chicken waffles in our near future. Mm. He announced that he's even retiring the Fidel Gastro truck and brand overall to focus on new projects. So I was really, really sad. Mm. But we need new places now <laughs> to we, go eat. We do. So kind of divided our, our little talk about, like, we should first talk about staples, I guess. Yep, I think so. So I have to say that it was a very difficult assignment yep. uh, to make a short list of favorite spots. I could have talked this whole entire show about brunch. Okay. Uh, but the first one on top of the list, I think it has to be Mildred Temple's Kitchen yep. in Liberty Village, uh, famous for their blueberry pancakes. I was just going to say the blueberry uh, pancakes are at the top of the pyramid. Go ahead. Yeah, Otto, uh, she's Ottawa-raised uh, uh, cookbook author. Donna Dewar is the chef there and owner, and she's created one of the city's most popular brunch. It's been a hit for over three decades for a reason. And what I love the most about her is that she really paved the way for m- women in the culinary world. And, and she climbed, I don't know if you know, but she climbed her way from bussing tables to the Ritz-Carlton to now creating this iconic brunch pot in Liberty Village. You know, she provided a recipe, not obviously not the blueberry pancakes, for one of the very first issues of Tonic Magazine. So, oh, really? That's yeah, cool. No, she did. It's, it's been a while. She's absolutely an institution. Absolutely. So we're going to make our way to Church and Wesley because mm. I love the patio at the Smith. Yep. Uh, though oh, I haven't okay. been you, for you, a while. You stole mine. Okay. <laughs> Can't wait for the summer because their patio is something else. And if you have a sweet tooth on your good days there, yep. the strawberry cheesecake pancakes are for you. Yep. I love that they make everything in-house, like every single thing, even jams, but brunch table, like chicken and waffle, abo toast, eggs, benny, croque madame all on the menu. And best of all, they take reservation people even on the weekend. So no no hour-long wait there. Yeah, and it's a beautiful space, too. If you, I was there during COVID, interestingly, and they had sort of like a quasi-outdoor area, but it was, it was sort of outdoors, but sort of not, and it was very cool. Yes, love the Smith. Um, Chef Ryan Lister, I always put my, my topics on my Instagram and, and see if people will 
tag me. I have a lot of chefs that I know. So Sharks Ryan Lister from Liberty Commons tagged me on social on a picture of their duck and waffle. And that looked pretty incredible. And strangely enough, I've never been. So Ooh. that's on my list. Okay. Then lastly, for this category, I would say school in Liberty Village. For sure. Definitely one of the city's most beloved brunch spots. You can't go wrong with anything on the menu, but I'd recommend crispy, crunchy French toast the apple crumble cake or their famous black and blue flapjacks that are drizzled with a maple of, of maple syrup. Be aware of the long lines, though. That's usually an hour away, minimum. <laughs> I hear you. Okay, so those are the staples or uh-huh. the old school. Do you want to talk about new school? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And so- I, think, I think new cuisine is what makes Toronto interesting. For sure. So I'd like to start. Let's go to King Street. Yep. Barrow. Have you been to Barrow? I have not. So Barrow's Latin, Latin staple, uh, dolce de leche kind of waffle. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to butcher this, but it's something like panquesas, which are kind of like pancakes filled with savory filling options. Ooh. And then they also have this chori papa, which is kind of a mix of chorizo and potato in a chipotle early sauce. It's delicious. Mm, okay. Then there's a Mal, and they're owned by Ink Entertainment Group. Yep. Those are the people behind, like, Bichot Hotel, Bibelos, Cabana Pool Bar, yep. Clio, all the musts, I guess, in the cities. But a Mal is totally different. It's a Lebanese restaurant and is under Chef uh, Roni Gallup, and it offers, like, my personal bunch favorite, which is the shachuka with poached eggs and spicy, delicious tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, I will always go for the shachuka. But they also have a manouche, which is kind of a Lebanese flatbread, which they top with things like there was one which is thyme, mint, olive, and tomatoes. And another one that was minced beef and molasses. Super interesting. Wow, yeah. Amal, is that on Ossington? I think so. Yeah. yeah, I thought I, I think so. I, I'm always walking by, and I, and I think I looked at the menu there. I haven't been there yet, but definitely a place to go. That old neighborhood's kind of my whole hood. Yeah, so you, you, most you, of the restaurants. Are exactly. Better. I was going to say you, you could restaurant hop on Ossington and be there for days for sure. Actually, I, I have another one on Ossington. We talked about Mamakas last time. Yep. I don't know if you've been to their sister restaurant bar Kukla. No, not yet. So Kukla is the same. I yep. mean, it's keeping up with the Greek tradition. And they offer the black truffle kaluri and eggs, which is kind of a bagel kind of a thing. Yep. And then alumi BLTs and baklava pancakes. Ooh. I've never tried the baklava pancakes, but it sounds like an easy two pounds that I'm okay to get. So are, I'm wondering, I, I, you haven't tried it, but I'm thinking, is it honey flavored or is it, is it a texture thing that they're going for? Because baklava does not resonate with pancakes. Interesting. Apparently, it's got yogurt pistachio and wild blueberry and it's served with baklava syrup to put on top that sounds sounds pretty awesome yeah that sounds like a lot of calories (laughs) can i add one to your like curious list yes okay so bar raval for brunch have you done that no okay so all the pinchos all the little sandwiches and everything so it's a bit of a savory brunch but then they also offer like little sweets to have with coffee there. So it's a quick brunch, right? You're not going to lounge there because it's just not that comfortable to stay there with all the barrels and, and the ledges. Yeah. But you can have amazing coffee in the morning, amazing cocktails in the morning, and delicious little bites to eat. So that that's my and, – and it's obviously like excellent Spanish food inspired by the north of Spain. So. I, I do cocktails there. We do five to seven kind yeah. of thing often. But yeah. yeah, I didn't know they do brunch, so that's great. Yeah, so there you go. 
I taught you something. Okay. Well, I'll throw you one. Powwow Cafe in Kensington. Okay. I've never been there. So it's an indigenous-inspired food in the heart of Kensington Market, obviously. And apparently they do incredible brunch. Again, never been for their brunch. Uh, I was told to order their signature fry bread. And that's apparently topped with poached eggs, smoked salmon, and also they have apparently a dill corn chowder that's crazy good. And if you never did a food tour of Kensington Market, I highly recommend Chopstick and Fork. Giuseppe, the owner, is a fantastic guide through all the types of cuisine in Kensington Market. So, Powell Cafe, that's like very unique. Okay, so we're out of time. We'll have to come back. No! Yeah, no, no. But I, I get to monopolize the last last 30 seconds. And that is, if you're going to do a take-home brunch, I recommend all the lox and smoked salmon at Schmaltz Appetizing. And if you don't love the bagels they have there, although they're quite excellent, you go to Primrose Bagels. It's a bit of it like you're driving around a bit, but you know that is the classic lox and schmear on a bagel brunch. Awesome. I've never been there. Yeah, so I will. No. Yeah, you got to take it. Okay. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on the show today. Next time, I promise, we'll get through everything, okay? Okay, sounds good. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of the Tonic Magazine. The Tonic is published six times a year and is delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. It's also available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. And if you miss it, you can also read The Tonic online at thetonic.ca. Hey, if you like The Tonic Talk Show, I know you'll love The Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Melissa Cameron is an organic master gardener and founder of The Good Seed, a garden education and design company. She's been featured on websites such as Farmer's Footprint, Floret, and Toronto Life, and is a regular garden contributor for Canadian Vegan Magazine. The Good Seed specializes in organic edible gardens, pollinator and native garden plantings, and sustainable cut flower garden designs. In addition, she's the co-founder of the Abermory Garden Collective, a not-for-profit that grows organic food and donates it to families with young children facing food insecurity. For more information, you can always visit thegoodseedgarden.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So people may not think that like gardening is hot-button issues or trending or anything like that, but I will tell you my Instagram feed is filled full of all these little plants and planters and ceramics. And I think urban gardening is is going to be a big time issue in the coming months. Do you agree? I totally agree. I think that we're seeing more and more people live in housing that doesn't include a front or backyard and not wanting to compromise on having a garden. If they're not compromising, what about the spaces they are using, like balconies, for example? Like, what do you need in order to grow effectively on a balcony? Right. So... 
most, not all, but lots of condos and apartments have outdoor spaces. And of course, just like in a backyard or front yard, not all of those spaces are created equally. So just as we talk about light in our backyard gardens, for instance, light will also matter when you're gardening on a balcony. A north-facing balcony, for instance, is going to be so much more difficult to grow on than one that has west or south light. But the real factor in balcony gardening is wind. Yeah. So gusts and wind tunnels really become a big factor, especially as you go up higher in condo buildings. And we know that condo buildings are now exceeding 30 stories, for instance. So you really want to get a feel for how strong the wind is on your outdoor balcony before choosing the plants and containers that you will be buying. And then you're also going to want to be like just a bit more aware of how the water is draining. So most modern balconies, for instance, have a bit of a slope. But the last thing you want to do is sort of have this soil watery runoff kind of bothering your downstairs neighbor. So all good things to consider. Well, unless you don't have a good relationship with your neighbor, in which case... (laughs) In which case, it's brilliant, right? You could claim innocence and you could do all kinds of mayhem. Sorry, that's just where my mind goes. So if you're looking for a planter for a balcony or a terrace, what sort of things should you be looking for? That's a great question. Okay, so first off, I'm always advocating for planters that have adequate drainage. So make sure that the bottom of that planter has enough holes for water to escape from. And if there aren't, you need to get out the drill and add some. I'm not personally a big fan of the self-watering planters that you see sort of out and about right now. And that's just because I like to be able to control the moisture in my garden containers. And so I don't gravitate towards those in my garden design. You're going to want a planter that holds a considerable volume of soil. This is going to allow you to choose from a larger variety of plants. And you're also, I think you want to decide on like an aesthetic direction. So is your balcony or terrace going to look more French country? Is it more mid-century modern? Is it more industrial? There's a huge variety of planters in garden centers right now. And I think that sort of picking a style and going with it matters. So is there, you know, terracotta is the classic, but like, are there types of materials that you prefer over others? Like I've seen all kinds of concrete, for example, like do you advocate for that? Sure. I mean, I think it depends as well how you're going to deal with these over the winter. If this is something you want to sort of take down over winter and bring in, you could use something like a felt plant bag. Those are really, really easy to use. They're lightweight. Concrete, for example, is a much bigger commitment. It's going to take you a little more effort to get that in place and not be quite as movable. So I like something that you are still able to lift once it's filled with soil, because if you do have a condition that develops like midsummer where there's just a scorching hot spot on the balcony and you want to move it into the shade, it being a normal weight will help you. Yeah, that's good advice. All right. So I know you're all about the soil. Are there any considerations for terrace planters? Yes, yes. And more yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, no, no, don't go to your big box grocery store or sort of, you know, big box hardware store and buy just a bag of topsoil or triple mix. You really want to be specific here. Your containers don't have access to sort of the soil that a regular garden would, right? So Mm -hmm. there's no macro, micro, minerals, all those sorts of things. You get to control the soil medium, but you also have to invest in it. So you definitely want something that has a better uh, ability or capacity to hold water and a blend that says something like container potting mix. 
And then when you see that soil, you're going to see, have you ever seen those little white perlite pieces yeah. that kind of look like styrofoam? Yep. Those are actually volcanic glass that's sort of been popped like you would think of popping a, a corn kernel. Mm-hmm. And they help with soil aeration and water retention. And then the next thing with your soil is, Season over season, you're going to want to replace about half of your container's worth of soil with the more active potting mix, compost, vermicompost, things like that. Because don't forget that your plant that is in that pot is going to be taking up nutrients, and we're not really putting any back in over the season. Right. Okay. So I grow vegetables. You know that. Is it possible to grow vegetables if you're living in an apartment or a condo? So lots and lots of edible plants can be grown on a balcony. Herbs obviously make an excellent choice just because you can grow them in smaller pots and containers. But, you know, really your imagination is the limit. Lots of people grow carrots, for instance, in those large Rubbermaid containers. You can grow lots of salad greens and even determinate tomatoes. Hmm. I would think tomatoes would be hard just because like the stems are so fragile with the aforementioned wind. I guess you'd have to trellis it pretty carefully, yeah? Yeah. So if you give them some really good support and you're looking at a determinate variety, which is one that only grows to a certain height, you're going to be able to successfully grow in a container. You could also grow vertically on a trellis things like pool beans. Got it. Okay. So you can grow vegetables. Is there anything you should avoid if you're planning to grow on a balcony? Yeah, so some edibles aren't great for a balcony. So think about like squash or pumpkins, melons. Those are just really large plants. And you just mentioned one as well, those indeterminate tomatoes that like to vine a lot. Yep. You know, avoid those. The other thing is that some balconies can actually get quite hot. You get a microclimate from the sun, the glass, the building vertical surface. And so plants that are sort of annuals, like begonias, shade-loving plants, you're not going to want to put those on a balcony. What about perennials? Do they work on the balcony? Yes. So as long as your growing container is large enough, you can choose to grow perennials like hydrangeas. You've seen evergreens, I'm sure, on condo balconies. The only thing is, depending on the climate, it can be a bit of a gamble overwintering these plants. Because plants and containers are more susceptible to uh, temperature fluctuations where you have thaw, freeze patterns happen. So sometimes they do need to be properly insulated over the winter. So I would imagine there are a few advantages to actually growing on a balcony as opposed to your backyard. Like, for example, you're not getting rabbits, I don't think. But (laughs) are there other advantages to, to growing on the balcony? Yes. So, I mean, in general, I think you are inviting some greenery inside. Lots of new condos, especially in the city, have what are called curtain walls, which is sort of that floor-to-ceiling glass. Yeah. And having this lush greenery on your balcony kind of brings that a little bit closer for the average condo or apartment dweller. And you're also able to sort of immerse yourself in that nature without leaving your home. So we know that plants and gardening help reduce stress, that it's a very calming, mindful practice. So I think that having those types of installations outside on your balcony, it's like a great idea. It's a great practice. Okay, so we've kind of covered all the generalities. Maybe you have some ideas to recommend some plants for people maybe who haven't gardened on the balcony before that you, you know, forgive this phrase, is the low-hanging fruit that people might be able to work with. <laughs> 
Sure. So one of the things I like to incorporate in balcony designs is the use of plants that have beautiful scent. Mm-hmm. So you're really bringing another layer to that outdoor, indoor experience and giving yourself that access to nature. So think of things like lavender or rosemary. Those make really great choices. And then I also think if you had a really shady balcony, for instance, ferns can be something that look really interesting texture-wise. And then, again, we talked about growing vertically. So if you do have that divider between you and the next unit, Adding a trellis that goes vertical could allow you to grow something really pretty, like a green wall using scarlet runner beans or clematis. You know, get creative. Think about your specific space and think about some of your goals. Herbs are going to give you, you know, that hit of fragrance and flavor. Larger sort of weeping plants that come over the sides of planters are beautiful and lush. Yeah. Do you ever have any concerns about sort of the flying rats, you know, the pigeons? Like, do they get into gar- <laughs> Do they get into your stuff? Because like, obviously, you know, the raccoons aren't climbing up 15 stories, but the pigeons, you know, I have friends with condos downtown and they have to mind the pigeons. Well, it can be an issue. And I know there are different products on the market. I don't recommend one over the other. I think if you are in a condo specifically, your balcony is actually an exclusive use common element. Yep. So it's not, you know, your proper property. And you can go to the management team and say, hey, we've got a problem here. Because who wants, would you call them flying rats? Flying rats. <laughs> who wants the flying rats? They're aren't any plants that are specifically deterrent to pigeons. So it's not like you can yeah. plant mint and the pigeons will say, oh, no, no, thank you. Got it. So you may need to put some netting up is the answer. It's possible. You know, research what you feel comfortable with as far as interfering with nature. There are also those clear plastic prongs that can sit on balcony railings that deter uh, wildlife from landing. Yeah. It's just wherever your sort of comfort level is with getting involved with the nature. Fair enough. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie. Have a great day. That was Melissa Cameron. To learn more about Melissa, please visit her website, thegoodseedgarden.com. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Dr. Krishna Bada, Brigitte Foisy, and Melissa Cameron. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The March-April issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are so important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.